Thanks for clicking play on the East Lake Tri-Cities Talks podcast. If you're new to this, we're trying to be the best church option for people in the Tri-Cities who aren't typically into church. We hope today's talk inspires you to take next steps in doing life in the way Jesus modeled and taught. If you're ever interested in being a part of one of our in-person gatherings, they take place every Sunday at the Uptown Theater in Richland. Check the website for current times. And regardless of what you look like, who you voted for, or where your tattoos are, we'd love to have you. But for now, here's our most recent talk. Well, some of them are pretty obvious. Uh, when you walk into a church building like this with kids, you're like, I'm, I'm a dad or I'm a mom. Uh, when you go into work, depending on kind of how you dress or where you stand or where your office is located, people know kind of where you're at. Um, some of the labels we're proud to wear. Um, some of them like, you know, the label that you wear is I'm the neighborhood guy who buys a lot of fireworks and we love people like you. Uh, and then there are people who like, I, I was asking somebody in the lobby, I was like, do you like fireworks? And they said, I love organized fireworks. I love the barge. I love all of that. What I don't love is neighborhood fireworks. And, you know, so there's labels in terms of which fireworks you like and how late you'll stay up to, to watch all of those things. But um, uh, all of these labels do something for us. Labels help us categorize things. My wife and I recently moved into a house after 13 years and we have a garage now with like boxes and they, all the boxes have labels on them because when we pack them all up, we're like, this is all of our different stuff. And for the first time in my life, it feels I'm more organized from a, like a, like a labeling standpoint, but I've, you know, you know how you live somewhere for 13 years, you know exactly where everything is. And now you know where nothing is, even though it's all perfectly labeled and you think that this would help us. And, and it, even if I didn't have those, it would be worse. So there's, there's positive things to that. Um, so labeling helps our brain kind of organize things into different categories of stuff. But one of the unfortunate things about labels uh, often, or it could be, um, is that we do tend to categorize people and we put them into certain things. We're like, oh, they're whatever. And then we don't even get to know them in the nuance of their life and, and uh, allow them to be able to kind of express themselves with their own story. We're just like, oh, you're, um, you know, you vote this way or you look this way or you dress this way or you're, I don't know, all those kind of things. And that's when labels can have kind of a shortcut that is not worth taking. Um, and one of those labels that we said is kind of relevant for us, like we're a church, right? So like, what are we, what are we talking about on Sundays? Is the label of re- religious. Um, is, it's a, a label that some people are, are prone to wear proudly, which is great. Uh, and then some people are like, don't call me a religious. That would be like the worst thing you could call somebody. Even if they're here, even if they're like, I'm spiritual and I'm, I'm not like ants, I'm not agnostic or atheist, but boy, um, you know, you, you tack something on the, the title of religious, it doesn't show up on a lot of dating profiles for a lot of reasons. Um, um, uh, and it's one something that we know that we're a unique church. Like we're, we try and be a church designed for people who don't typically into church. And if you're not typically into church, then one of the labels that you want to oftentimes rush, you know, uh, disassociation with is the idea of religious. Um, and so we are quick to be like, I'm, I, I would be irreligious, right? Because you you do that based on maybe personal background, personal history. You do that based on what you think comes to mind from other people when they would categorize you as religious. And so you're playing this game constantly about trying to figure out how that works. And so um, we, we are, I know going into this that we probably are a makeup of people who, even though you do come to church, you're like, I'm sort of like, I have this dark, I have this weird side of me that likes to be classified as sort of irreligious. And then in week one, I said, listen, everyone's religious. We all are religious about something. We all, when, what religion has to do with where our heart kind of goes to, we are what we love. We are a product of our desire. So no, nobody's truly irreligious. We're all religious about something. We, we, we invest our time and our, and our money and our attention, our focus into all kinds of different things. And, and whether it's spiritual or whether it's organized religion focused is kind of a sidebar and it's kind of a mute thing. But in, in a sense, 
We all live religious lives. We all live, there's some sort of a ritual for your life. If I watched you long enough, I'd figure out kind of the things that you care about and times the revelatory about what we care about the most and you are what it is that you love. And then, and then last week, um, we, we kind of looked at the story of Jonah a little bit. And uh, we said one of the things uh, that, that Jonah kind of found that was really disorienting for him and would be for us too, is what happens when your conception of God is displaced by God right? Or it sucks when your, your um, picture of who is in and who is out uh, is not the picture of who God says is in and who is out. And, um, and, and so perhaps we, we look at something and be like, I don't want to be classified as religious because that's what this means. And then God goes, well, what, what if, that's not what it, if that's not what it means? And then we're like, well, then my whole categories are all blown up. And he's like, I know. And that sucks, doesn't it? But like, that's part of doing this thing called life. That maybe, maybe, maybe labeling in this way is a shortcut not worth taking. So um, that's where we have kind of led up to in, in our conversation leading up to today. Uh, there's a, a quote that I came by uh, a few years ago by a guy named Tim Keller, who unfortunately recently just passed away. Um, and he was a pastor in New York City, a pastor of Redeemer Church, one of my favorite authors. And when he passed away, I, honestly, I got onto, onto social media and was reading through some of the stuff and probably never met the guy. I went to his church once. He was off that day. Um, but um, he his ministry would have been top three, top five influential things for me in the way that I think about ministry, in the way that I think about faith, in the way that I think bleeds through a little bit of East. Like, I don't think anybody would confuse our church with their church. I mean, um, for, for uh, just different reasons, but um, his thinking and his thought processes were, were, and his ability to kind of reach out and beyond the walls of, I don't want to do just a gathering for people who are already convinced. I wanna, I wanna be somebody who is a resource for people who are searching, who, who claim to be irreligious, but are more religious than they think. Um, and kind of what he did great was also spark people who think that they're religious and think that they're convinced and, and are, are, are utterly sure of their standing with Christ and, and their faith, and whether because they grew up in church or history or whatever. And he always had some pointed things to say to them about that. And, and this is the one that stood out to me that I wrote down and um, has been kind of influential for me. It says this, and this is on, if you've been to my office upstairs, there's a hallway, it's on, my, on, on the walls in, in my office. Uh, it might be on a post-it note, but anyways, it's, it's on there. One of the signs that you may not grasp the unique radical nature of the gospel is that you are certain that you do. One of the reasons or one of the signs you may not grasp the unique radical nature of the gospel is that you are certain that you do, that you fully, I totally understand. I mean, this is the Jonah, this is the Jonah piece last week. I know who's in and who's out. I know who God's for and who he's against. And then all of a sudden God flips the script and he's for the Assyrians. And he's like, I, now I don't even know who you are, right? Now I, I feel like everything about you is just a mystery. And then God would be almost like, so you're saying that my ways are higher than your ways? And he's like, yes. And he's like, I've been saying that since the beginning. That's what this whole thing is about. If you think, this is another way of rephrasing this thing, if you think you've got God figured out, then that might not be the God that is like worth worshiping in that way. So uh, that one's been shaking me. And that one then I think has an appeal to, it, it has a little bit of a push for those of you who identify as Christian and have no problem identifying as religious. It's like, be careful. And then also it's for those people who have who've kind of, looked at things and been like, I want to be irreligious. I don't want to be associated with that. And, and this is, again, saying to that, well, what if, what if that's not exactly what 
you're, I'm asking you to sign up for? What if, what if you're more religious than you think, just not in the way that you typically would identify? So I want to start off this morning by sharing about a story uh, that about seven years ago my, in the summer, this, seven years ago this summer, we took my daughter, our oldest daughter, who's now 15, she was eight at the time, to Haiti to go visit um, uh, one of the nonprofits that we support, Danita's Children. We had a friend who worked there. I had been there once before. And I wanted to take my eight-year-old there with my wife and, and a couple, I think a couple people from the church as well uh, went with us. And we had a great time. We got to see all the things that they're doing. They were our initiative like a couple of months ago. So they're not our current one, but um, they have an orphanage that they do. They had a church that they asked me to speak at. They have a feeding center. They have a school. They have a, a dental clinic, medical facility, all kinds of really incredible stuff. It's right on the border of the Dominican Republic. Public in Northeast Haiti, so it's about as far away from Port-au-Prince as you can get. But um, the the you know just the, all the dynamics of what's going on in Haiti is definitely affecting them, and, and was even controversial at the time. We had to like pick border days in which to cross. But anyways, I got home from that trip um, and uh, immediately had a, a thing on the on the west side of the state. And went over, and um, we had decided, gotten with some friends over there, a pastor who had another guest speaker in town. We were going to go to downtown Seattle to go have dinner. And so we all piled into their 1990 Chevy Suburban, and I volunteered to take the back seat. Now, remind, remember, I'm coming off of 10 days of a diet in a foreign country with water that is questionable at best, and food had just kind of, you know kind of worked itself out. So we get in the, I'm in the back seat. We're whipping and weaving. He's a fast driver. We're, it's traffic. We're whipping and, and going all, all of these different ways. Um, and I'm in the back and I'm not feeling all that great, but I hate missing a party and I'm only in town for one night. You know what I mean? So YOLO, right? That's how we do this thing. Um, as dinner progresses, so does my illness. And on the retur- return trip, have you ever been in a spot that is uncomfortable and you think to yourself, it's not a matter of if this is coming up, it's just when and where is this happening, right? And I'm going to puke. And uh, that, it's that feeling, it's like, it's like right here, it's like doing this thing. I've only had it really significantly that I can remember one other time. I did a wedding at the Moore Mansion in Pasco, honestly. And it, what sucks is, you know, it's really hard for some people to call into work. You've had like this, I can't call into work, I'm the only one that knows this. Think about a pastor who's signed up for a wedding. How do I call in for where? I'm so sorry, I can't make it today. They're like, what do you do? So I'm like, I told the bride and groom, I'm like, listen, I feel awful. I will sign the papers in a different room. You will sign them in a different room. I'm gonna stand out there. I'm gonna do this ceremony and then I have to go. And as I'm sitting there, she's getting ready to walk down and the music's playing. I'm going, I'm gonna puke in one of these bushes. Which one is it gonna be? (laughs) It was awful. I held it together, you guys. I did it. I'm a a seasoned vet at this point. So... (laughs) No fear at all. But that, that time and then this time in the back of somebody else's car, somebody else's car. And I just, we'd just eaten Mexican food in downtown Seattle and he's whipping and weaving back. And this guy, his, his passenger, his pastor from another, uh, from Tennessee or somewhere uh, in, in the Midwest, starts talking to me and asking me questions. And the last thing that you want to do when, when the bile is right about here is like talk. You know what I mean? You're just like, you just want to like, I don't know, not do that. And so... <laughs> He starts asking me questions like, hey, I heard you just got back from a trip. Yeah. Uh, how long are you down there? 10 days, right? Immediately, how was the food down there? I'm like, oh, God, you're doing it to me. Don't do that, you know? And he said, I've been to Haiti. And I said, oh, yeah? And almost, almost uh, every time, it's, it's like Port-au-Prince. It's down in the capital area. It's like, and so he goes, yeah, we were in a place called Wanamith. And I was like, no way. I was in Wanamith. 
and it's not that big. And he goes, oh, we were at Danita's. And I was like, I was, <clears throat> I was at Danita's, you know, <laughs> trying to have this conversation with them. Like, how, what are the odds? And he's like, yeah, we, we met this girl named Brittany there. And she kind of gave us a tour. And I was like, that's my friend, Brittany from high school. That's so wild that this connection is being made all the time. Again, I'm trying to keep myself together. And, and, uh, and, you, and he's like, wow, what are the odds? And I'm, I'm you know, to, that we know the same person, went to the same place. And, and he just went there like last year and whatever. And uh, I was... I should have been more impressed at the odds. I was too focused on keeping something um, down in there. I was too sick to be impressed with the odds on that thing. And uh, then he goes, uh, did you take your kids or family or who'd you go with? And I said, yeah, I my, my, took my eight-year-old daughter. He goes, I took my 11-year-old son. And I was like, that's so cool, like exposure to like third world countries and all that kind of stuff, right? And uh, he said, I asked my son, my 11-year-old son, what he noticed the most while he was there. And... Uh, and, 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 and I, I immediately resonated with them because we had the same exact conversation with London too. Like we, we knew she was at a ripe age to go down there to go see this kind of thing. And it wasn't like we wanted to um, shame her into being like, you better eat all your food. Think about the orphans in Haiti. You saw them, you know what I mean? Um, or it wasn't like uh, you should be glad that you got uh, more than one Christmas gift. Think of, you know, whatever. But it was, how do you... Because I never wanted to lead her. I didn't want to parent her in that way. I always wanted to kind of show her something or expose her to the world and then let her use her own reasoning to kind of make those decisions, right? And that's, that's like the, for me, that's been the best way to learn. And perhaps that is for you too. Maybe perhaps you're the best teacher that you ever had growing up was somebody who didn't like beat you, <laughs> beat you over the head with all the answers and tests and quizzes, but just taught you how to read well, right? Or learn well. And so anyways... That's where it was at. But um, I, he, he said, I asked my 11-year-old son what he knows the most while he was there, and, and what will you never forget? And he said, I remember there was a long pause, and I thought he didn't hear me, and I attempted to answer or ask the question again. And his son, his 11-year-old son said, they're laughter. They have nothing to laugh about, and yet they laugh. They have nothing to laugh about, and yet they find themselves laughing. And, uh, and, and so it was just like this you know, this kid for the first time realizing the discrepancy between my experience with the world and what reality is defined by and then these other kids who seem to be really happy and have no screens and they don't get, they don't ask for screen time because they don't have screens, you know, like mind boggling in that way. And our conversation with Brittany, um, who was there and, and on site was, because uh, I talked to her after this and kind of updated her on, hey, I met so-and-so and, and he knows you and all that kind of stuff. And I mentioned the comment about the 11-year-old kid. And she said, ironically, even these kids within this orphanage don't know how good they have it. They go outside the walls and into the community, into the city, and they're a spectacle to all the other kids. All the other kids look at these orphanage kids and go, there goes the rich orphanage kids. Wow, what it must be like to have three hot meals a day, dental visits every six months, access to medications when they need it, filtered water, electricity, schooling. Um, and it's just, a, it was, again, it's one of those things where it's, exposure to something, it's a shock to normalcy. It's a, in those moments, very easy to have a bit of a reality check about what is real. So I think a lot of times we go through life and we think everybody lives this way. Everybody thinks this way. This is just normal. This is how we commonly define things and how we commonly operate. And this is commonly acceptable and decent. And this is commonly uh, indecent, unacceptable ways of behavior. And then every once in a while, something comes in 
uh, and exposes us to the fact that it doesn't always have to be this way. I mean, this is the foundation of, of rebellions and, and sort of uh, changes and challenges to society and authoritarian figures of saying, what if, it, what if we all just stopped doing this and, and did something different? It's in those moments, in those raw moments, whether good or bad, that we realize we do kind of live under a, a weird framework of, of understanding. Uh, so, so every once in a while we, have, we, we, we get challenged with a, what if that's not true? What if that's not it? So when it, again, I'm tying this back to this idea of religious. I don't want to be called religious. I'd rather be called irreligious. I like the, the, the feel of that better. I, I don't want to be associated with that. Well, what if, what if that's not it? What if we could shake this up a little bit? A, a little bit? What, what are we supposed to do when life goes a little bit off script? How do we do when things are challenged, when labels are not maybe what we thought that they were and things are changed? Jesus is walking along uh, with his disciples one day. It's in uh, Luke chapter 11. And uh, I'm going to summarize the first part because there's two, two basic sections to this. And the second section is a little bit confusing if you've ever read it. So we're going to attempt to read through it and try and discern a little bit of wisdom in this. But um, Jesus is walking along and people are asking him, uh, saying to him something along the effects of, hey, show us a sign. Um, show a, And there's a way to read, like, maybe we think that you're special. Maybe we think that you're the son of God. Maybe we think that you're the Messiah that we've all been waiting for. Show us a sign. But there's also a sense in which um, they'd heard about him healing people. Um, they'd heard about him transforming food into feeding 5,000 people in one sitting. Um, and them thinking, hey, could you do something like that for us? Give us a sign. We've heard you've been doing all of these really nice things for lots of different people. Oh, we could really use a handout here. Show us a sign. And Jesus immediately has these comments that says, these, these people, these are selfish people. All they care about are, is themselves. And it's like always for them, the only sign I'm going to give them, he says, is the sign of Jonah, which then obviously Luke is, is, you know, this would have been a story. Again, we, we talked about Jonah last week, the idea that he went in a whale for three days and, and was exposed up on a beach and this, this mythical story of, of all of these things. And perhaps this is his way of foreshadowing. I think that's probably what the New Testament authors are doing. Foreshadowing, saying, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna be buried for three days and rise again. You're gonna think, just like Jonah, right? So maybe, maybe that's what's going on with all of this. Then he goes into this long expose of all of these, uh, of this south wind that comes up and there's gonna be some judgment. And even the people, even the Ninevites are gonna look at, the, uh, look at these people and say, we, we changed our minds because a foreign prophet came onto our soil and held up a sign that says 40 days until destruction. And we thought, all right, we better change our ways. You had the son of God show up and say, this is a way to do life. And you didn't even change your ways. Like there's gonna be, a, that's gonna be a testimony against you in the future. It's gonna be a big deal, right? So that's the setting for this. That's the background for this. There's controversy in there. There's people who want something from Jesus. Um, there are people who are clearly not gonna change their minds, even if he were to do something for them. Because, you know, you, you know, and we know that the human condition is, you do something for me. That's great. Thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, aligned with you for a time. And then I want you to do something more for me again. And then next time I need it to be bigger in order to kind of keep me entertained. Right? It's like this ever, you have kids, don't you? That's how this works, right? Parenting. All right. Anyways, um, Luke eleven thirty three says this, no one lights a lamp. This is now Jesus talking, speaking to this group of people with this setting in mind, right after he's chastised them about being kind of 
greedy gusses and never satisfied and even no matter what I did. Nobody finds a lamp uh, or lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it'll be hidden under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand so that those who come in may see the light. This is kind of common. This is how life works. When somebody finds something that's valuable, that's truly valuable and it's discovered, it's made known so that all can benefit. It's, it's a matter of if I have something, I don't keep it to myself. I'm kind of going and spreading the word about all of this, right? Um, my wife came home from Costco uh, this week and brought some of that brownie brittle in a bag. Have you seen this brownie brittle? It's like the edges. It's like, oh, it's so good, right? Yeah, exactly. She goes, this is buy one, get one at Costco right now. Have you ever heard of a buy one, get one free at Costco? I said, no. And we've had friends and family over for the last couple of days that come over and, and, and do this. And almost every time she'll bring it out and she'll sit on the counter and be like, and it'll be like as soon as they make any sort of movement towards, oh, these are so good. Buy one, get one free at Costco. Did you know that? <laughs> Just so you know, they'd say, they never do that. I know, I know, it's crazy. <laughs> so then she's like, could you work it in your message today so I can just get this? So here we are. Guys, buy one, get one free. I don't know how long it lasts. Check it out for yourself. When, when we find something truly valuable, I mean, if it's truly valuable, we cannot wait to tell everybody, people about it. They come over and say, oh, that is so amazing. Where'd you get it? Oh, the story of the acquisition is almost as important as the product itself. Let me tell you how I found it. Let me tell you how I negotiated it. Let me tell you what you got to do, right? I mean, that's the more valuable something is, the more apt we are to probably talk about it as soon as we can. I mean, imagine if some pharmaceutical company announced on Monday, tomorrow, that they discovered the cure for cancer. Can you imagine the 24-hour news cycle? If they followed that up with the announcement, oh yeah, we found out about it 20 years ago, but we've just been sitting on it. Can you imagine our reaction? We'd say, what are you talking about? That kind of stuff is not, that breaks the news cycle. Twitter is broken for 24 hours when something like that comes through in that way. If something significant has made itself or in himself known in this case, and it impacts you in a meaningful way, how could you not reevaluate what you thought constituted as normal? So in this sense of labeling and fear of of being labeled as religious, um, because we think it comes with all kinds of categories, Jesus would say, yes, I I get that. Um, I want to change kind of the perspective of that. But like also... If my, my presence in your life isn't revolutionary and it doesn't, I mean, it, it should be something that we, 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 we don't have to like be told, please, all right, here's what we're gonna, all gonna, gonna go do. We're gonna go evangelize. We're gonna go do this. He's like, yeah, that should be something. This is something, this is something so valuable. It just bleeds out. Like I, I used to live life this way, but that's just a broken, lost existence. And there's something more, there's something better for this. He's like, it should be a natural thing. You shouldn't have to be twisted your arm into this sort of thing. That's what I'm inviting you to, to this fear of religious, irreligious, like this game that we play. But well, if I can create the categories enough in a certain way, maybe I'll sign up for that. He's like, I I don't know. I think what I'm inviting you to is bigger than this. Then he goes on, verse 34. He's continuing this. So he's he's set the standard for like, if there's a graph of level of importance versus level of I can't stop talking about it, it's gonna be up and to the right, right? Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are healthy, and this is, this is where it gets a little bit confusing for us because it feels like we're gonna have three verses that are completely non-related. Um, and that's because we don't read in the same language and speak the same language that they spoke in, in Aramaic and, and Greek, a form of, of, of this thing um, for them. So I, I put in parentheses, 
It's not, that's not in your Bible, but that word healthy and that word dark or unhealthy, sorry, the word healthy and unhealthy in, those, in that context has a financial bent to it. Um, when your eyes are healthy, when you're generous, your whole body is full of light, but when they're unhealthy or stingy, your body also is full of darkness. And it doesn't just mean like when you're, if you're a generous person, you live a better life, but he's saying there, there is a, a way in which when you see things and you are open to being generous or charitable about how you think and how you categorize and how you do things. Your whole life will be healthy, but when you're dark, when you're stingy, when you define things your way, when you refuse to kind of think outside the box on that, when, when, when you are like, I know what it is and, I, and I'm, not gonna be, I'm not gonna be merciful, I'm not gonna operate with a high level of grace and be like, well, that's fine, I just have open, things. no, this is what it means and I know this is what it means. Your whole body is full of darkness. Fullness of life under the reign of God comes down to a largely a question of vision. How do you see yourself? What's normal for you? What are you seeing? Everything you see is biased. We know this about life. Everything that you see is biased towards what you've already determined is true and real for you. This is normal. This is normal. I'm stingy with what's normal. I'm stingy with this is how it works, that this is who God is, that this is who he likes, that this is what it means to walk in faith, that this is what it is. And Jesus is saying, listen, I'm, I'm here to like kind of blow up that box a little bit and talk about um, maybe you don't have this all figured out and maybe if a better way of operating would be a little bit more generous, a little bit more grace-filled in that, a little bit more openness on this. Your eye will be full of light. See to it then, this is how he closes his phrase. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. That we live in oftentimes a closed uh, system of what classifies as normal, what classifies as good, what classifies as religious and, and virtuous and worthy and um, valuable and all of this. And he's like, man, it would be such a bummer to have that be so real to you and yet so broken and not true to reality. It'd be so, such a bummer to have that be such an, a big blind spot in your life. See to it that the light within you is not actually darkness. Yes, but how would I know it's darkness because it only seems like light to me? I know, that's the hard part. He's like, I know. It's almost like you can't do it by yourself. It's almost like your definition of what works for you and what's normal for me and all of the categories that you've come up with for you um, are a little bit limited. And it's kind of a stingy way of doing life. And beware when you're stingy in this, when your eye is unhealthy, it's gonna affect everything about you. And it's gonna be really hard to break free from something like that. Might something that you believe to be false actually be true? Might something that you think probably doesn't exist actually exist? Might something that you believe to be good actually not be good? I mean, like I said, this has... This has weight for people who both identify as religious and are proud of it and irreligious and like proud of that too. Maybe perhaps you've rejected the claims of Christianity because it's been used to justify so much bigotry, injustice, racism, and hatred in the world. And that's, you can look back and be like, well, the church is notorious for blah, 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 and this and that and the other thing, right? Absolutely, I, I get that. It's a tool that oftentimes is used by just about everyone to clear their conscience about what they're doing or serve as a rallying cry for more recruits under the guise of religious obligation. Perhaps a clear understanding of the caution that Jesus provided 
over 2,000 years ago gives us the framework to understand how and why such Christian malpractice could have occurred. We say, how can we justify the church or organized religion with all of the brokenness in the world? Maybe it was full of a bunch of people who were imperfect, who didn't listen well enough when Jesus said, see to it that your darkness or that, your, uh, the, the, the light within you isn't actually darkness. See to it that the, the, these we're gonna, you know, in the, in the matter of the crusades, go in and convert people at the end of a sword into Christianity for all the, all the right reasons or the colonization of uh, the Native Americans or whatever, all of these things that are in the name of religion, right? That we're obviously looking back on it broken and being like, see, that's what I don't like about religion. Okay, I get it. But like, perhaps it was just a, I'm not trying to excuse their behavior, but like human nature in general, we live like, like we have things in all categories where we thought it was light at the time, but it was actually darkness. And we didn't take Jesus at his word. We weren't generous with this. We're stingy with what we define as good. We don't actually focus any attention or any efforts or any energy on seeing to it that the light within me isn't actually darkness, that I'm never actually fully out of the woods, that I've never fully arrived, that I know exactly, exactly the true nature of the gospel, right? Coming back to Keller's quote, you think you've got it fully convinced and fully figured out. It's only evidence that you actually don't. That this way of walking in faith, this way of walking in Christianity, this way of walking in Christ, if we said what we do on a day weekly basis is try and figure out what it means to live and walk in the way of Jesus is a never-ending process. That even when we think we've got this figured out, we hopefully live with the open hand that says, but it, again, it's my best effort. I wanna be generous with this. I want, to, I want to see to it that things that I call light aren't actually darkness and the things that I call darkness aren't actually pathways towards light. And God, that's gonna require like, like more help from you along the way. Like, uh, it's not gonna be, it, it's gonna be, feel, feel like I've never arrived, that it's gonna be this entire living process. And he's like, I, I think I know that. I think that's what this whole thing is about. That I haven't given you a roadmap to life as much as a guide, a spirit to then guide you into all truth. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. This is, again, my ruminations about this, but I think this is a more inline way of reading, because how do you read these discrepancy in, the, in these, I've tried to like live with this verse for the past week or two and saying, okay, what, is this, what, what does this mean? How does this tie into the sign of Jonah and the eyes and, and unhealthy and healthy? And then he lands it with this. And this, by the way, is how he ends it. This is his, the big culmination, this, this is mic drop moment, see to it that the light within you is without darkness. How, how do I, how does Brent live with this? What do I do with this? <clears throat> how do you do that? Again, one of the signs that you may not grasp the unique radical nature of the gospel is that you are certain that you do. And I think what is being offered to us is constantly this invitation to come and see, to come and walk beside, to come and learn, to be, and Jesus says, I'm, I'm leaving, but what I'm leaving behind with you is a spirit to guide you into all truth. That the Christian way is uh, that, to listen and to walk, and to sometimes, looking back, get it wrong, and, and hopefully then learn and, and reshape our, our, our minds and, and what it means to be, a follower of Christ after this and constantly evolving and constantly looking forward 
to what God has called us to be. And, and in that way of doing things, I think kind of like me trying to expose my daughter to thinking through and, and trying to raise her as a properly functioning a, a, a adult and, and trying not to say, here's all of the things that I know that you need to know, but here's the way of, here's the way of thinking. Here's the way of growing. Here's the way of operating the world. Here's, how to, here's what it means to, to live with a sense of, I have been blessed with a lot. Like I'm lucky to have um, the parents that I have, of course, right? Uh, I'm lucky to, to have um, a, a school that I, that I go to in, in, a, in a country that I feel safe in. And when I go to the grocery store, it's like, I'm not worried about the, the, the produce or the, the, the things. Like I'm, I'm truly blessed in this way. And, and, um, and I, see, I see that my reality isn't necessarily the reality for everybody. Um, but I am called to live in this reality and I am called to live here with these people in this moment and do this. God, would you help me? Would you help me? And this would translate to us then too, to, to be generous um, with my thinking, to not be stingy um, so that I don't live in darkness and see to it that the things that I call light aren't actually darkness and the other way around. See to it that my fear of being labeled religious might be just a broken fear, a misguided fear. I understand why I did it, but like everything's jacked up. We're all jacked up. You love us anyways, and you're calling us to something better. So my hope is that we would be a community uh, that is generous in that way, that we would learn and grow towards that, and we would do it together in this, and we would kind of continue to navigate the waters of religious and irreligious, that we wouldn't be drawn too much to like, oh, it's so cool to be irreligious. I'm, I'm like, not, not really, right? We're all religious. We're all moving towards this. God has something for us uh, in this. And we continue the conversation a little bit more next week. My hope is, as you go out this week, uh, that you would live with, that you would challenge yourself with, Jesus, imagine yourself in the position, sitting across from him, watching him look these people in the eye and looking you in the eye and saying, see to it that the light within you isn't actually darkness. Wrestle with that this week. Let's pray. Father, our prayer is that you would um, continue to lead us and to guide us, that this would be one of those just awareness messages, that there's not necessarily four steps to making sure that we're right, because I don't think that that's how this works. I think that you are leading us in, in, in a different way. And uh, I'm thankful for that. And I think it looks different for uh, the diverse backgrounds of people that we have in this and the d diverse seasons that we're in and, and what it means to be uh, <clears throat> a parent, what it means to be retired, what it means to be a teacher, what it means to be a student, all of the different seasons that we're in. May you help us navigate that truth in our life. May we wrestle this week with what, uh, you, with you looking in our eyes and say, see, saying to us, see to it that the light within you isn't actually darkness. Give us the wisdom to know what to do with that. Curse to act on it in your name, amen. Thanks again for listening. If you've got more questions about the church or community group options for connecting with East Lakers outside of Sunday mornings, I'd encourage you to check out our website, eastlaketricities.com, or better yet, download our app by searching East Lake Tri-Cities in your favorite app store.